Section 8 of Mornings at Bow Street by John White. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Beauty and the Broomstick Mrs. Mary Evans was brought before the magistrate on a warrant, charging her with an assault on the person of Miss Jemima Jennings. Mrs. Mary Evans was a tall, thin matron, somewhat declining into the veil of years, but her countenance, especially the most prominent part of it, which was very prominent indeed, was still blooming with spirituous comforts. Miss Jemima Jennings was a very pretty, mild-spoken young woman, with a countenance blooming with youth. Miss Jemima disposed that on a certain day named she happened to be going along a certain street, and as the weather was very hot, she happened to go into a certain public-house to take a glass of Henry Mew and Company's entire. She there happened to see a gentleman, who very politely asked her to take a glass of something short, telling her it would squench her thirst better than porter. She resisted his invitation for some time, but at length she consented to take a drop of something short, a cool dodger of cloves and brandy, and having drank it, she thanked the gentleman for his politeness, and went on her way, pretty considerably refreshed. Next day, she happened to go into the same public house again, not with any expectation of meeting the same gentleman again, but with the sole intention of taking a dodger of cloves and brandy on her own account. She, having derived great comfort from the one she took on the preceding day it so happened that the gentleman was not there at which she was very much pleased for she could not bear the high dear of being beholding to one gentleman two days together while she was taking her cloves and brandy thinking of nothing at all but how very nice it was who should come in but the defendant mrs evans with an I want to speak to you, young woman. Now she, Miss Jemima, thought this very comical, for the lady was a perfect stranger to her. However, she followed her up one street and down another, till at last Mrs. Evans opened the door of a house, and said, Pray walk in, ma'am, and in she did walk, wondering what all this could mean. Mrs. Evans, having closed the door, made her a low curtsey, and said, have the kindness to walk this way, ma'am. And Miss Jemima followed her along the passage to an inner apartment, like a lamb to the slaughterhouse, as she said. For they had no sooner entered the room than Mrs. Evans seized a broomstick, and without uttering a single word, began to bellabore her over the back and shoulders with all her might. Miss Jemima shrieked, or squeaked, as she called it, for help, but not a soul came to her assistance and she was obliged to defend herself as well as she could with her hands alone till mrs evans dropped her broomstick for lack of breath and then she miss jemima made her way out of the house covered with bruises and wonder this was the unprovoked assault complained of and for this miss jemima jennings claimed redress at the hands of the magistrate mrs evans made a very voluble defence she was cursed with the husband, she said, who, though she had brought him twelve children, 
was continually hankering after other women. On Monday last he went out, taking him six golden sovereigns, which she had put by to pay her coal merchant, and he did not come near home for three whole days thereafter. Some of her neighbors told her that he had been seen courting the complainant, Miss Jemima, with cloves and brandy, and she was so aspirated at hearing this, that she certainly did entice Miss Jemima to her house, and bansell her with the broomstick, as she had described in conclusion. She admitted that she was wrong in so doing, but her passion got the better of her judgment, and she hoped his worship would consider that as an excuse. It was very hard, she said, for a woman at her time of life to be neglected for such creatures. The magistrate told her he thought she ought not to have proceeded to such a violent outrage upon the complainant. Without better proof that she was the case of her husband's faithlessness, but as jealousy was an ungovernable passion, and as she appeared to repent of her violence, she would order the warrant to be suspended for a day or two, in the hope that she would, in that time, make her peace with the complainant, and save herself further trouble and expense. THE COCKNEY AND THE CAPTAIN Captain Blank Blank, a gallant officer, who had lost an eye in the service of his country, and was residing with his family in the pleasant village of Mortlake, was brought before the magistrate, on a warrant, charging him with having assaulted and beaten one Samuel Cooper, who called himself a London shopkeeper in a small way residing in Whitechapel. Samuel Cooper, it appears, went out to ruralize one fine sunny day, and having strolled as far as Mortlake, he called upon a friend of his, a little fat man in a brown bobwig, who keeps a little shop in the neighborhood of that village. It is a sweet little cottage, with a little garden in front of it, well stored with potherbs, gillyflowers, gentle and rosemary, and has a little wicket-gate opening to the road. His bobwigged friend was mighty glad to see him, and invited him to stay to dinner. An invitation, which was gladly accepted, for Samuel Cooper was come out to make a day of it. They had a dish of very nice beans and bacon for dinner, broad Windsors, and a prime cut of gammon, and having chatted an hour or two, and finished a couple of pots of mild porter, Samuel Cooper walked out into the little garden in front of the cottage, and leaned over the little wicket-gate, enjoying the beauties of the prospect, and a lovely evening, whilst his bobbed-wigged friend was busied with some little matters in his shop. As Samuel Cooper was thus leaning over the gate, pondering, no doubt, on the possibility of getting back to the White Chapel without paying coach hire, he was aware of two ladies coming along the lane. One of these ladies was a considerable distance behind the other, and when the foremost of them came nearly opposite to the place where Samuel Cooper stood, she stooped, apparently without seeing him, and began rectifying the lace of one of her boots, which appeared to have got loose in walking. Now whether Samuel Cooper is a man prone to gallantry, or whether the delightful evening, the beans and bacon, and the mild porter, opened his heart more than usual, we know not, 
but so it was that when he saw the lady stoop and began doing something at her foot he suddenly called to her shall i tie up your bootlace for you ma'am unlucky samuel cooper the words had scarcely passed his lips when the lady raised herself looked round for a moment gave a loud shriek and ran off down the lane with the speed of an antelope followed by the lawyering lady whom samuel had seen in the distance samuel cooper looked after them as they ran and smiled to think that women should be so timorsome but he soon had caused a smile on the other side of his mouth as it were for in the next moment captain blank rushed into the garden exclaiming you rascal how dare you insult a lady and before the astonished samuel could reply he received the gallant captain's clenched fist full on the centre of his nose and down he went all amongst his bob-wigged friend's gilliflowers the captain then walked away and the luckless samuel gathered himself up leaned his head over the wicket gate and where he stood bleeding for more than half an hour bemoaned both by himself and his bob-wigged friend this was the violence he complained of he assured his worship that he had not the most distant idea of insulting the lady and he was utterly astounded at the consequences that ensued thou shalt be punished for thus frightening me a woman naturally born to fears and though thou now confess thou this but just with my vexed spirits i cannot make a truce but they will quake and tremble all this day said lady constance to william longsword earl of salisbury when he merely told her there was a wedding in hand and what would she have said had the noble earl startled her with such an offer as samuel cooper's but maybe honest samuel has tied up the bootlaces of many a buxom lass at vitachapel and he thought he might do the same kind service for the ladies at mortlake ah simple samuel cooper the whole of this statement as far as the captain was concerned was fully substantiated by his bobwigged friend whose garden had been watered as it were with samuel's innocent blood and then captain blank was called upon for his defence the gallant captain gave a rather different account of the affair and took off something from samuel's veracity the captain said his wife and sister had gone to visit a friend at some distance on the afternoon in question and some time afterwards he set out with the intention of meeting and accompanying them home but a sudden shower coming on he took shelter in the house of a brother officer on the road whilst he remained there he saw his wife and sister pass by and he was just preparing to follow them when he heard his wife shriek rushing instantly from the house he met both the ladies running back again with great repetition and alarm he hastily inquired what was the matter they told him as hastily that they had been grossly insulted by the complainant samuel who still stood chuckling at the gate he naturally felt very angry and immediately went up to samuel and taking him gently by the lapel of his coat he said to him now my good fellow unless you make an apology to the ladies for your insult i certainly will chastise you boo said the boorish samuel i'll see him blank first and as he said this 
he threw his arms up in such a manner that his elbow struck the captain on the chin whereupon the captain knocked him down as above stated and he submitted that any other man would have done the same under the same circumstances the magistrate viewed the matter in the same night he told samuel his conduct to the lady was extremely impertinent and his matter when remonstrated with grossly insolent and therefore he should discharge the warrant leaving him to seek his remedy at the quarter sessions if he thought proper samuel stared and appeared inclined to reply but seeing it was useless he left the office in silence wondering more than ever and his bob-wigged friend slowly followed him jeremy sullivan a jocund little irishman with dark sparkling eyes and black glossy well-curled pole dressed in a carter's frock and heavy travel-stained shoes was brought in by some of the patrol who had found him strolling about long acre in the dusk of the evening apparently without either aim or object and laden with a large bundle tied up in a very handsome shawl this bundle contains seven gowns sundry shawls handkerchiefs hose and a smartly trimmed straw bonnet nearly new and the patrol declared that from the very unsatisfactory manner in which he accounted for his possession of these articles they very believed he had stolen them they also pointed out to the magistrate a round hole about the size of a shilling in the side of his hat crown which they strongly suspected had been made by a pistol ball what is your name friend said his worship to the brilliant-eyed smiling prisoner jemmy sullivan your honor was the instantaneous reply in a rich tipperary brogue and a tone so loud that all the office echoed jemmy sullivan and pray where did you bring these clothes from and to whom do they belong from portsmouth your honor and they belongs to the wife of me the magistrate doubted the correctness of this statement it was not likely that the wife of such a man could have such a wardrobe sure enough it's the truth every bit of it your honor replied jeremy sullivan how came this hole in your hat asked his worship is it the hole your honor's axing about faith then the mice made it to get at the bread and the cheese your honor bad luck to em what do you carry your bread and cheese in your hat no faith your honor not a bit of it any time barin that time the mice stole it all and then your honor it was not in it that's the hat at that same time but on the shelf your honor and i'd none of it left for me breakfast at all gad's blood says i to meself but you shan't do that to me again says i or i'll put it under me hat all the night and so i did your honor but bad luck to them the craters they bored the whole clane through the side of it which your honor's axing about are you sure it was not on your head when the ball was fired at asked his worship without seeming to have listened to his bread and cheese adventure was it on me head your honor faith if it was meself wouldn't be here spaking to you about the mice replied jemmy sullivan the officers in searching his pockets had found a number of english and irish pawnbrokers duplicates and the magistrate selecting one of them asked where did you get this ticket for a pelisse 
bought it your honor of mike dermont in donady he's a bagpipes your honor and pray what are you a tailor your honor was the reply but one of the patrol who is skilful in such matters having examined his hands declared that if he was a tailor he had not used the needle for twelve months at least what have you said to that mr sullivan asked his worship bad luck to the tailoring your honor it wouldn't agree with me at all anyhow and i discharged meself clane out of it by the same token sir and how have you got your living since i walks down be the waterside your honor and gets me little bits o reeds and things and ties em up like little bagpipes and plays on em your honor thy to you gander and grammacree and the likes of em and the gentleman blazes to hear me your honor and some gives me a shilling and some half a crown maybe and some buys the little bagpipes for themselves your honor honest jemmy endeavoured to make the nature of these little bagpipes very plain to his honour but he did not seem to understand it exactly himself and so he made nothing of it neither could he account for his bringing his wife's wardrobe up to london whilst he remained herself in portsmouth and eventually he was committed for further examination even this order for his imprisonment he took in perfect good humour and having carefully counted the ten or twelve shillings which the magistrate ordered to be returned to him he replaced them at the very bottom of his pocket and said i hope sir arnold take care of me things the magistrate assured him he would and honest jemmy sullivan then followed the turnkey as blithely as if he had been going to donnybrook fair instead of to prison this poor fellow was kept in prison nearly a month during which time his wife came to london and not hearing anything of him at the place they had appointed for their meeting she went over to ireland in search of him at length jemmy was discharged because there was no evidence against him but his clothes were not given up to him till long after one of the fancy a poor harmless translator of old shoes was placed at the bar by a city officer upon a charge of having stolen or otherwise improperly obtained a check for three hundred from one jonathan freshfield esq one of the fancy this jonathan freshfield esq was a diminutive forked radish sort of a young man very fashionably attired or as he would say kiddily togged and though it was scarcely noon he was rather queer in the attic that is to say not exactly sober he stated his case in this manner here i wish this fellow to say how he got hold of my check for three hundred that's all you know let him come that and i shall be satisfied rum go had it last night missed it this morning blank rum go here here it is see payable at hankey's all right grabbed him myself went to hankey's two hours for bank opened waited two hours sat upon little stool wouldn't be done you know in he comes with it grabs him there he was looked like a fool hello says i how did you come by it mum hadn't a word you know only let him come it now all about it and i'm satisfied don't like to be done a rum go but can't stand it that's all 
The city officer said he had been sent for to Hankey's to take the prisoner into custody, and having done so, he carried him before the Lord Mayor. But as it appeared to the offence, if there was any, had been committed in the county, his lordship had referred the matter to Bow Street. The magistrate asked to see the check, as the esquire called it. The officer produced it, and it proved not to be a check, but an acknowledgment from Messrs. Hankey and Company, that they had received three hundred from Jonathan Freshfield, Esquire, for which they would account to him on demand. "'Pray, have you an account at Hankey's, Mr. Freshfield?' asked the magistrate. Mr. Freshfield replied, "'Who, I? Not a bit of it. I'm from the country, you know. Blank town.' had enough of it almost diddled in this matter it's a sickener got it again though only want to know how that fellow the long one there came by it put the blunt at hankey's to be safe cause wouldn't be done and then lost the check that's a rum go isn't it your worship the magistrate asked the prisoner how he came by it he said he lodged at mr burns the fighting man's in windmill street and two gentlemen there whom he did not know, gave him the check to get cashed. His worship directed an officer to go to Burns' house and inquire about it. In about half an hour, he returned to Mr. Byrne and company. "'Byrne, do you know anything of this business?' asked the magistrate. "'Who was it gave this paper to the man at the bar?' "'Who gave it to him, your worship?' said Mr. Byrne. "'Why, I did.' "'You did. And pray how did you come by it?' "'Why, I won't, your worship. "'Won it by shaking in the hat,' replied Mr. Byrne, "'squeezing the sides of his hat together "'and giving it a hearty shake "'to show his worship the trick of it. "'The magistrate looked at Mr. Freshfield. "'Mr. Freshfield looked at Mr. Byrne. "'Mr. Byrne looked boldly round at everybody "'as if nothing was the matter, "'and at last Mr. Freshfield ejaculated, "'Well, that's a rum go, however. "'Blank me.' Never thought of that, you know. Don't believe it, though. Coming it strong, eh? Burn? Maybe, though. Won't be sure. After soliloquizing, sometime in the style, he began a long history of his having gone from Springs to Burns, and Burns to Springs, and betting upon the match for Monday, and taking the long odds at one place and giving them at another, till the magistrate and everybody else was quite wary of it, so his worship discharged the prisoner, recommended Mr. Byrne not to addict himself to shaking in the hat, directed the city officer to return Mr. Freshfield his three hundred check, and advised Mr. Freshfield to put it into his pocket and return to his native woods as soon as possible. End of section 8